Um, we've got a little bit more time. We're going to be looking in the Bible together. If you have one of those with you, uh, we are going to be completing today uh, our series through John's Gospel. So we're going to be looking at John uh, chapter 21. Um, it might come up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can, you can follow there. Look over someone's shoulder or just listen, listen to my dulcet tones. Wonderful tones. Um, and it's just yeah, it's great. I'm really looking forward to this evening as well. If you can make it along to the, uh, to the family night uh, when we get to hear from, uh, from Tim and Becky uh, and all that God's doing with them in Oman. And just make it a time to pray and seek God for them. And, uh, uh, and also for Mark and Debbie and, and Grace and Josh. Um, God, it's just wonderful, isn't it, to have all of you here. We get to hear what's been going on in the Middle East and in Canada from people who've been part of this church and sent to nations. Um, so let's, let's look forward to how God might encourage them and bless them tonight when we pray. John chapter 21. My focus will be the, the second half of that chapter. So if you'd like to, uh, to find verse 15, uh, that's where I'll start reading. Here we go. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who'd leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So we've been going through John's gospel together uh, in, in recent times, and it kind of rises 
to this wonderful kind of climax, this crescendo, at the end of chapter 20. We kind of discover why, why John wrote the whole book. Because uh, he, he says um, in verse 30 chapter 20 of the previous chapter, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the, the offer of the book to people hearing about Jesus who've never seen him with their own eyes. We, we get to encounter him here for real in the Bible. I think that's why John is, is writing the book. He wants to create real moments of encounter with Jesus for those of us who, who weren't there and saw him with our own eyes. And, uh, and that real life, that true life, is an eternal life. It's going to stretch uh, into, uh, into eternity. Now, sometimes I wonder if people hear like eternal life and think, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I, I, I want life forever. I mean, if it was like this world, I might want that to come to an end at some point. So we can hear about life of the age to come or eternal life and think, well, what, is it just loads more of life? But what John is showing us all the way through is it's not just more quantity of living, live for longer, it's no, a completely new quality of life and we get to read all about that in here as people encounter Jesus and as Jesus explains who he is. So we can see that our life following Jesus, I think Eloise might have said this herself, a life following Jesus is the best kind of life there is. It's a fruitful life. It's a life that involves friendship with God, and it's wonderful. Um, at one point, Jesus describes himself. He says, I'm, I'm the gate. Jesus says lots of I ams through. I am the gate just sounds drab, doesn't it? I, I, am, I, I am the gate. But he says, whoever comes through me will be saved. I don't know, um, I can remember uh, going away on, on, on holiday with Rachel and we were, we were staying in this accommodation and we kind of arrived at the door to the accommodation. And it, just, it just looked really disappointing. Kind of dusty, dirty, grubby, nothing special, didn't look clean from the outside. And then the door was opened for us and kind of went through into this courtyard with a fountain. It was absolutely stunningly gorgeous. On the outside, it just looked tremendously ordinary. On the inside, it was amazing. And for those who come through Jesus, those who come through the gate, it might look like that before you make that decision. A bit drab, a bit ordinary, and then you come into it and eyes are opened afresh to see how life um, is uh, supposed to uh, to be a life of fullness. He goes on to say there's a, there's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says of himself in chapter 10, but I have come that you might have life and have life to the full. Now, life to the full might still have some challenges and some trials, some difficulties in it, but a life with God, a life, friendship with Christ, there's nothing better. And so as we uh, as we as we conclude our meeting later on, or before we do that, I'm going to give you the opportunity to commit your life to Jesus. 
Actually, I'm going to give you, give you an opportunity. Maybe you've done that before. I, I, I'm going to give you an opportunity to recommit your life to Jesus. We'll, we'll stand, the, the band will come up, and we will we'll worship. And I'm going to encourage you at that point, if you want to commit or recommit your life to Jesus, just to slip out of the row, just come and find some space here at the front. Uh, I'll, I'll guide you through in some prayers. It, it might be that some folk that we know, that are members of the church, can, can gather around and, and, and pray with you. That's going to happen. Uh, I've got to talk quickly because we're going to do that in about 10 minutes. Um, because what we might be thinking was that the life sounds wonderful and sometimes what I see in other people, I kind of want it. I, I, I desire this closeness, this intimacy with God, a, a fruitful life of fullness, but what if you blow it? What if you mess up? What if you fail Jesus? What if you deny him? We've got the kind of case study here of Peter. And earlier in the book, uh, we're told that as Jesus was on trial, about to face execution, we're told in chapter 18 that Peter followed those who'd arrested Jesus, kind of went into, through this doorway, kind of went into a courtyard and could see. Who knows how far it was away? Maybe like from here to the sofas. Jesus is on trial over there. Peter kind of comes in. He wants to be close to Jesus. He has boldly declared, I'm never going to leave you, Lord. All the others might go away. All the others might desert you, but not me. I'll be by your side the whole time. So he gets as close to Jesus as he possibly dares. Okay, now I'm going to the PA desk. Jesus is in the PA desk. He's on trial in the dock. Peter's got here and realized, I'm in the minority here. Most people present are not supporting Jesus. I've got as close as I dare. Jesus is over there. I'm here, and, and here's a fire. I think I'm just going to, to stand here, and uh, I'm going to keep warm, and I, and I can watch what goes on. And, and maybe at the right time, I can pipe up and affect something. Be bold, courageous, rescue the Lord. And what does he do? Three times he's asked by someone around the fire, aren't you one of his disciples? And he says, no, I, I'm not. I don't know the man. And that happens three times. The cock crows. Jesus predicts it beforehand. He's absolutely gutted. He failed Jesus. So what do we do and how do we respond when we fail Jesus? Or when we fail God in life, when we, when, when maybe we had the best of intentions, but we blew it. Chapter 21 can seem like a bit of a mystery. We might think, well, if you got to such a big climax, oh, I'm suddenly gone. Oh, we're back, we're back, are we back? Okay, well done, guys. Um, no idea what came next. I'd look at my notes, but they're no good anyway. Um, <laughs> persevere. Um, so what do we do when we just totally, totally mess up? I had the best of intentions. 
What, what happens then? Chapter 21 is a bit of a mystery. In some respects, we might think, why is chapter 21 there if it rises to this big, massive crescendo? And Grant helped us to see that last week, that as disciples of the risen, now risen Jesus, actually we need to learn to recognize him. And we also need to see his grace at work right here uh, with, with Peter. So we're going to see how God's grace through Jesus worked with Peter to restore him. And if in any measure you identify with the position that Peter was in, I'm, I'm encouraging you to come forward. I'm encouraging you not to wait for another time, okay? You, you can be almost like, you know, if you've, if you've come together a family, you've got young kids, you're going to think, how are we going to manage the, the response time? Just, just work it out. Respond today. Don't leave it to uh, another point. Because I want you to see how the grace of God in Jesus restores Peter's relationship with him and deals with those past failings. There's evidence from the way that Peter holds himself, even in the verses that I read earlier on, that he's still compromised. Maybe he's already had some conversations with Jesus because Jesus has appeared after the resurrection on a couple of occasions before this. But he's still compromised. Why do I say that? There's a kind of quirky moment. Earlier in chapter 21, the disciples are in the boat and they see this figure on the shore and they come and a moment dawns and they realize, they recognize it's Jesus. Look what Peter does at that point there. Verse 7, chapter 21. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, typical Peter, he wrapped his outer garment round him, for he'd taken it off, and jumped into the water. And the others are left kind of like rowing slowly with this heavy laden boat. We'll, we'll get there eventually, Peter. You go ahead. That's what you always do. And, um, and gets to the shore. And we, we don't hear of what Peter does next until we get a little bit further on. Jesus said to them in verse 10, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. So it's as though keen to get to Jesus, he jumps in, gets to the shore, he sees Jesus round a fire, maybe just about 50 meters away, and thinks, this is kind of ringing a bell. And Jesus has kind of orchestrated the situation tremendously generously and graciously as we've seen before. He's already made breakfast, have something to eat. And he gets close to Jesus and thinks, maybe he just thinks, we're not quite right. It, things are not quite right between us. I know what, I'm going to find something else to do. I'm going to go and get the fish. rather than just have this almighty hug. So they have, they have some food. There's this, there's this tug of war going on, perhaps inside Peter, and there can be, that can be going on for all of us if in some way we've denied Jesus. Peter was asked the question, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter said, no. And we can be feeling that sense of, of compromise, of a damaged conscience, if there's some situation in life and we decided, 
to act like we weren't a disciple of Jesus. Uh, and of Peter, we could say, well, he, he was, it was a dark time. He was in a dark place. He was under tremendous pressure. He was just seeing his Lord and Savior on trial, knowing that death awaits. He's totally in the minority, and he's surrounded by people who are hostile. We might all say, we understand, Peter. We get it. So imagine this week, you're in your small group, or you're meeting up with a few friends, and, uh, and Peter's there. And, and Peter comes, and it's evident that he's not quite right with the Lord yet. So oh, he's, in, he's in despair, he's in turmoil, and he's, he's kind of saying, I stuffed it, I, I blew it, I had the opportunity, but when the time came, I, I, I turned away. And I think what a lot of us would feel like we needed to do for Peter's sake at that point is say, Peter, we totally get it, we understand Maybe we might say, it's not your fault. You were under tremendous pressure. You were almost completely by yourself. The disciple that Jesus loved was there as well. Um, you, actually, at that point, Peter, you were, you were really close to Jesus. You were closer to Jesus than lots of other disciples because they all scarpered. Well done you, Peter. You went as far as you could. You did the best that you could with what you knew. Because we want him not to feel guilty. We don't want him to feel like he's got a damaged conscience. But is that the way through to a restored relationship with Jesus? It might be more gracious, more loving, and more caring to our friend Peter to say, yes, Peter, that must have been really hard, but you blew it. And when the time came, you failed your Lord and Saviour, and you acted like you weren't his disciple. I mean, imagine, that might sound dramatic, but just, just imagine um, uh, kind of a, a married guy kind of getting to that point and think, for some reason, under pressure, feeling a bit uh, kind of uh, got at in some ways, who knows what, but thinking, uh, just for this next couple of hours, just for this next couple of hours, I'm just going to take off my wedding ring. I don't, I don't want people to see that. I would hope... I would hope in that moment you'd just go, what are you doing? Don't do that. Whatever happens next, don't do that. Get right. Our culture wants to try and just get rid of guilt by saying you didn't do anything wrong. Our culture might say, it wants to help you get rid of guilt by, by saying, do the same thing over and over again until you don't notice that you have a guilty conscience anymore. Do the same thing over and over again. I, I want to share with you what I think is better news. But it requires for us to first of all start in that position of saying, yes, I did fail him. I did blow it. I did act like I wasn't the disciple, but I'd like you to turn 
um, to the book of Hebrews. If I can find it myself. There's quite a few things here that it would tell us about, what, about the solution to a guilty conscience. We could read in chapter 10, for example. Chapter 10, I'll read from verse 1. This is the book of Hebrews. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the reality themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. We might think the language of, of sacrifice sounds a bit strange to us, but we do actually live in a very religious society, um, they just don't realize it, that offers a number of ways of doing the same thing over and over again to try and feel better. It might be down at the gym. It might be on a treadmill of some sort. It, it might be based in kind of physical exercise. If I do the same thing over and over and over again, I'll feel all right. If I wash my hands over and over again, every situation, I'll, I'll, I'll be all right. I'll be cleansed. Something will cleanse me. But these things don't have the power to deal with a guilty conscience. Those sacrifices, endlessly repeated, are just a reminder of sin. They're just a reminder of the problem. It's impossible for the blood of, goats, uh, of bulls and goats to take away sins. But you get further along. And the encouragement from verse 22 in the same chapter, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Peter has to have this moment of encounter with Jesus. It has to happen because God has purpose for him, a way in which Peter is going to be used to serve him in the future that we read about in the book of Acts and elsewhere. He couldn't just go from the fire denying Jesus to Jesus saying, it's okay, I totally understand, don't worry about it, to then moving on to the day of Pentecost and standing up. There has to be this moment of encounter with Jesus, painful as it might be, when Jesus asks for the third time. But I want, to, I want you to see, before we respond in just a moment, what Jesus does. Like I've said already, he, he, he takes the initiative. He's there uh, on the beach. He's made the barbecue. He's already got some fish, actually, and he's cooked them. And these hungry guys who've just been wearing themselves out all night, he's already made them breakfast. Before anything happens, it's like, it's on a full tummy. It's just the generous, gracious tenderness of Jesus. And, and note what Jesus does next. He doesn't ignore it. He's prepared to go there. He doesn't ignore what Peter, what's happened. But neither does he interrogate the guy either. In front of the other disciples, he doesn't get to get his, flip book, uh, his little notepad out. 
maybe like police style or courtroom. Uh, could you just speak to confirm your name, Simon Peter, son of John? Is it not the case that in chapter 18, a few days ago, you were there in the courtroom at the trial of Jesus? Yes, Your Honour. And was it not the case that upon seeing Jesus, you backed off a bit and sat by the fire? Yes, Your Honour. And was it not the case that not once, not twice, but three times when asked the question, aren't you one of his disciples, you said no? That's right, Your Honour. It's not an interrogation. He's not after him. This is a restoring moment. So what does he do? Remembering that Peter denied Jesus three times by being asked a question, Jesus three times asks him a different question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now, rather than coming out of his mouth being the negative, no, I don't know the man. He's just given the opportunity to express, I love you, Lord. You know I love you. And each time he's asked the question, as much as it might hurt, it's like a poison is sucked out of him. The result will be he's no longer caught in two minds. I kind of want to be with Jesus. I kind of don't want to be with Jesus. I want to be zealous for God. I'm just backing off and actually being a bit passive. That gets dealt with. His conscience is cleansed so that he can serve the living God, so that he can rediscover God's purpose for him. So not only is he asked the question three times, but three times will Jesus say, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. I've got plans for you. I've got a future for you. It might seem a bit strange that he says, and you're going to die in the same way that I did. We might think, well, that's a bit of a clangor. But it's not. It's the ultimate encouragement. It's Jesus saying, I know you're going to follow me all the days of your life. You, Peter, are not just a failure waiting to happen. My plans for you and the power of Jesus' blood to cleanse him and restore him means that God's plan for him continues for all of his days. As painful as that might be at times, as strange as that ending might be, he's going to honour God his whole life and glorify him. I just wonder if the band could come now.